Hello, hello. Before you came on, I uh, I killed. Whoa. Did you smash a dozen by yourself? No, 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 no. It's half a dozen in this box, by the way. Oh, I see. No, I just killed three of them. What kind were they? They didn't have any crawlers and they didn't have any glazed. So Grunge Girl got a bunch of uh, the maple, like the glazed Yum. with the maple frost. I love a maple donut. Yeah, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. So you just ate three maple donuts. So... You're doing pretty good. You're flying high. I'm flying high. You're doing great, is what I'm hearing. For breakfast, I had barbecue potato chips, so I don't know. Wow. What a beautiful cycle. Today's fine. Today's fine. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's great. I'd say it's fine. Okay. What have you been up to? What have I been up to? Just like miscellaneous paperwork. Yeah. Your new job doesn't start till like the 30th? Yeah, till the 29th of November. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So you're still just chilling for another 10 days. I am terrified. Of this yeah. Absolutely terrified. What are you terrified about? Just having a job and somehow being able to fully do the little amount that I was able to do without a job. Right. You're afraid your job is going to cut into your life. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, life is a slog. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't agree more. Wait, how's Skeeter? Oh, how's Skeeter? Oh. How's my baby? How's my nephew? This week, he's been so good. He's just always in the right light at the right time. So much of his personality is dictated by whether or not his paws are, like, tucked underneath his body Mm -hmm. or folded up in (laughs) front of him. Right. You know, that kind of stuff. And he's just had great hand positions. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that he is, like, working his angles. It's been so great. We've been giving him little... Little bits of chicken as treats every once mm-hmm. in a while. Oh. So that's been really nice. It's been we nice. love to hear it. How are you, Hava? How am I? How am I? Bruchem, I'm well. I just uh, last night taught a workshop for Trans Day of Remembrance with Svara, which was good because we had a really short time to teach in. It was a lot more of me talking than I usually do in my classes, which is like vulnerable in a different way to just be like, I'm going to talk for 45 minutes of this, and I hope that's okay for people. Wow. Okay. You talked a lot. Do you think we should have a trans day of forgetfulness? Every day is trans day of forgetfulness? No, 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 no. Like one that we actually remember. (laughs) Well, that would be like remembering to blot out the name of Amalek from our memory. You know, it's like trans day of forgetfulness would be like we forget people who are shame on our community. Oh, okay. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. we like blot out the Caitlyn Jenners of the world. Is Caitlyn Jenner you like universally hated by the trans community? I mean, not universally, but like she transitioned and then she has like started a career as a Republican. Like she's did like a something in California running for governor. So well, she's pretty reviled by me personally. My opinion is if you're a sexual minority of any sort becoming a Republican is a really good career move. It's a great career move. It's a very bad ethical and moral move. Well, you know, what's morality anyway? You know me. <laughs> That's what we are here to find out, Michael. I love that not long ago, we had like a huge fight about moral relativism. And now you're like, it's fine. Never mind. Well, I'm being facetious. Okay. Facetious. That's the worst abreve I've ever heard. Sorry. (laughs) So, okay. So Uh, you remembered 
to do trans remembrance. Yes, I remembered and I, I had a great and vulnerable and emotional time teaching that. Um, my boyfriend is just about to run out and pick us up some Mediterranean food, which I'm really excited about. Oh, trying a new place okay. in my neighborhood, okay. which is all, you know, trying a new place is an exciting time you know as a old and venerable 31 year old now no it doesn't get any better than this your 30s are all about just like waiting for a moment when you get the opportunity to try a new place (laughs) i know and this is that moment and it's about to be shabbat like this is the pinnacle of human experience as far as i'm concerned i haven't tried a new place in so long ah well sometime when you come over you can try this place okay great yeah. So that's cool. Let's see. What else? You know, I'm just a busy little bee. I bought my boyfriend's birthday present this morning. What'd you get him? I got him these things called sleep phones. They're like fancy headphones for wearing when you sleep. Oh. He wears yeah, he-, he wears headphones when he sleeps. And right now he's wearing this like $5 pair of headphones, just like the classic plastic over the ear headphones that are like barely held together at all does he wear headphones while he sleeps because he's neurodivergent or because he's a man well that's a complicated question (laughs) the neurodivergent part is just that he just like watches videos all the time i would say like 20 hours out of the day he probably has a youtube video playing eventually once we moved in together i was like i can't sleep next to you if you're playing youtube videos in bed like i'm a very light sleeper i can't fall asleep with that kind of thing happening so he started wearing headphones in bed and then he started falling asleep in the headphones and forgetting to take them out and then he broke several pairs of headphones that way (laughs) and that's how we got to this situation but like back up he watches youtube videos constantly oh my god so many youtube videos and he has very like specific youtube tastes i've suggested to him that his special interest might be like feuds because he's really into showing me videos of like different rap feuds he has like an encyclopedic knowledge of rap feuds um yeah he's a he's a surprising guy and then he watches like a lot of informational youtube as well Oh, like, hey, guys, I got the new, like, iPhone 7, and I'm going to compare it to my blender. No. So, like, today, before the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict was announced, which is a horrible thing that happened, he was watching, like, videos of lawyers explaining the legal details of what's happening in the court case there. So he watches things that are like, this is what the text of this law means from a technical perspective. He's, He's a wild and unique creature. Oh, my gosh. Okay, on to another subject. Okay, all right. I RSVP'd to my brother's wedding. Oh, wow. Congratulations. I am terrified. Is it going to be in Texas? In Texas, in March. Oh, that's pretty soon. That's pretty soon. Don't say that. Do you have a dress picked out? No, I need to get a dress. I was just looking at the dress I thought I was going to wear, but... The dress code is semi-formal, and then on, they had a little Q&A on their RSVP to explain what semi-formal means, and they were like, for girls, think a dress that goes below the knee. And then I like looked at the dress I was thinking about wearing, and I was like, this does not go below the knee. I have to reconsider. And so it's going to be you and your boyfriend are going to go to the wedding? Yeah, my boyfriend. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah, I'm terrified. I'm so terrified. Yeah, I know. Family is terrifying and should be banned. Honestly, it should be like in the dispossessed. In the dispossessed, people are like shipped away from their families at birth. 
Really? Oh. Some of them. It's not completely universal, but after like a certain age, they live in a little dorm with all the other kindergartners. I'm for that. Yeah. You should read The Dispossessed. It's a great book. Okay. I think we're right in the sweet spot of terrible. Either we should be separated from our family completely, or our families should be all consuming of everything in our lives. Mm-hmm. We're in this like awkward compromise zone. <sighs> Either way, I'm very scared of mine. I'm going to have several more phone calls with my mom before the wedding itself to talk about expectations and needs around how I'll be treated. Why don't we switch places? Why don't I go with the grunge girl to your brother's wedding and you go hang out with my folks for Thanksgiving? Yeah, that sounds fine. Grunge girl should pretend to be me because you know they don't fucking know yeah the, true they don't they're just like what this other trans person in your life right little do they know we're all the same we have a hive mind any trans person out there who's feeling not good about the way they look just so you know all non-trans people think you all look the same <laughs> the only thing that varies is what quality they assign like either they think we're all the most beautiful creatures on earth or they think something much worse or it's like oh they're all the same except like that's sleepy trans that's like <laughs> dopey trans sneezy trans yeah it's like that yeah anyway that's enough of our personal bullshit so a listener has brought us a listener question which is related to our previous episode about anal sex in the talmud which was a great episode definitely go oh. back and listen to it this is a follow-up to our anal sex episode. yes exactly follow-up question all right without any further ado here we go Hi, Chava and Michael. I just finished listening to your episode about anal sex, which was great. However, as a poly and kinky person, I was struck by negatives around the expectation of privacy and sexuality that you uncovered in Talmud. I'm wondering, is there anything in Talmud that can be used to reflect on things like threesome, orgies, kink scenes, etc.? Are they just not okay, according to the rabbis? I've been thinking about this a lot because my current practice is to wear kippah and tzitzit everywhere, except at kink parties. My thought is that a lot of people are wearing fetish gear and I don't want someone to interpret my outfit as such. I feel like I'm still connected to my conception of Hashem, but it raises some questions for me about when I choose to set aside a particular mitzvah that I'm otherwise committed to practicing. Would love to hear your thoughts. Shavuot You are more advanced than Hava and I combined. We should be asking you questions. I disagree. You disagree? I mean, I think our listener is incredibly wise and I'm incredibly grateful for their wisdom, but I think I'm more advanced than you think I am. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that you're not advanced. You don't have knowledge, but like when was the last time you wore tzitzit, number one? Uh, Like two days ago. Okay, fine. Well, when's the last time you went to an orgy? It was a long time ago, but I went to a lot of them during that period of my life. Okay, well, before we get into what the Talmud says, have you ever worn tzitzit to an orgy? No, I have never in my life been at the same phase of going to orgies and wearing tzitzit at the same time. Okay. So our listener is definitely more advanced than me in that respect. And also, you know, it doesn't have to be a competition, but... Mm. I do I do salute them for navigating that challenge. How do you navigate this, Hollow? Yeah, so first I'm gonna bring a text that is probably my best representation of something that I would think of as kink in the Talmud. I honestly can't remember if we've talked about this on the show or not, if we've talked about this text, but we're going to talk about it again. And then we'll get a little bit more into the meta issues. On Avoda Zara 44a, the rabbis are discussing this lady, Queen Ma'aka, who was a queen in the northern kingdom she was therefore according to the rabbis a bad queen idolatrous 
wicked queen. Here is something that they're saying about her wickedness. Amar lehem Rabbi Yossi, uhalo kvar ne'emar ugam et ma'aka imo hesira mingvira asher asta miflatsta. Rabbi Yossi said, what about the verse where it's stated, and he removed ma'aka, his mother, from being queen, for she had made an abominable image. This is talking about a story in which Asa, who is like a good king, removes Ma'aka, his mother, from being queen because she's an idolatrous wench. Okay. That's setting the scene. And the rabbis say, my Miflatsta, what is this Miflatsta that she made that we're so concerned about? So a miflatsta is a thing that intensifies licentiousness. As Rabbi Yosef teaches, Ma'aka fashioned upon the idol the likeness of a penis and would engage in sexual activities with it daily. Here's the parts that I'm drawing out as kink here. Ma'aka made this sex idol of a female goddess of Asherah, an idol for Asherah, and presumably it was a public idol because... It just seems like it would be because there's nothing saying that it was private. And a lot of these were in like public places or in like natural groves on high hilltops, that kind of thing, kind of druidic vibes. So she made this public idol and then she put a dick on it. So it's like a trans sex idol. Uh And then she had public sex with it every day. Okay. So what do you take from this? Okay. So the listener is asking about public sex or just kind of group sex. Well, they're asking about parties. There's a public, private, you know, both happen at parties sometimes. But I first am addressing this question of can it be used to reflect on things like threesomes, orgies, kink scenes, etc. Obviously, the rabbis here are talking about Ma'aka not as someone that they want us to emulate, right? They're tearing her down. But the reason I bring this text is because... One, the rabbis clearly thought that this conduct was important and or prevalent enough to record it for future generations. And two, whether or not the people who ended up being the arbiters of our tradition approved of our behavior, in some sense, Jews as a people and Judaism as a religion has a lineage that is connected to this woman and her wild sexual adventures with sacred you know, public dildos are a part of the DNA that makes up what we have today. So to me, the reflection that I bring is I could not personally, and if listeners, if you know of one, please bring it to me. I could not personally find any positive mentions of the kind of sexual conduct that our listener is talking about in Talmud. However, that's because the people who created the Talmud and decided what got in it had a very particular culturally conditioned understanding of sexuality and their time. Just because they didn't see that conduct as worthy of making it into the Talmud doesn't mean that there's no evidence of it in our history, and it means that we, with our own culturally conditioned view of sexuality that in this case is, you know, a kinky view of sexuality, can be the ones to decide to bring a kinky Judaism into the future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see the twisting you are doing. I I don't think I'm doing any twisting of the text. I'm just 
twisting my reaction to the text. Well, I want to ask the listener, like, what their goal is. Do they want to find laws that make it okay, that say that what they're doing is okay? I kind of want to know what the underlying questions are that are going on here. I do think that, in general, you're right. There's not a lot of positive language around watching people have sex, doing kinky stuff in the Talmud. There is the one thing that I did bring up, I think, in a bonus episode about the student who was caught spying on his rabbi having sex with his wife. The student was like, oh, I want to watch a master, you know, learn how to do what a tzaddik does. Right. And I also think there's a lot of sublimated kink in Judaism. I mean, to fill in our incredibly kinky, there's a lot of kinky imagery about being bound to God and like about Israel as like the lover and the Torah as the lover and the sexy princess. And there's a lot of horny stuff. There's definitely horny things. My point in what I'm bringing is what the rabbis have to say about sexuality is conditioned by their time and their understanding of sexuality and we are the arbiters of what will be what future jews will look back on and think of as jewish sexuality this reminds me you did an episode a couple weeks ago about hair covering was it hair covering Mm -hmm. yes that's so funny that you bring that up because it's part of what i'm going to bring later let's continue our journey a little bit with a little more text so That addresses one part of the question, which is, is there anything in Talmud that we can use to reflect on these experiences? And that's all I offer that text for is this is a piece of preserved tradition that can be used as a tool for reflection on that kind of sexual experience. Definitively, what we take from it is that's the product of the reflection. You know, Yes. Okay. so I also wanted to talk about the permissibility and specifically our listener was talking about. In the anal sex episode, I read a quote from the Shulchan Aruch, and in that quote, the Shulchan says, He should be very private during intercourse, having no people of any kind around, even a child, unless it is a baby who cannot speak. So I think this is one of the main things that the listener was talking about. I wanted to highlight that this piece about the privacy particularly comes from a medieval halachic text, not from Talmud. And so... It exists at a level of authority that's lower than Talmud. It is less authoritative than Talmud. And what Talmud told us in that episode was, What Talmud told us, the more authoritative source told us, is anything that a man wishes to do with his wife, he can do. It is like meat that comes from the butcher. If he wants to eat it with salt, he can eat it that way. If he wants to eat it roasted, he may eat it roasted. If he wants to eat it cooked, he may eat it cooked. If he wants to eat it boiled, he may eat it boiled. And likewise, with regards to a fish that comes from the fisherman. All right, so it's within the realm of debatable group sex with at least married couples. Yes, it is within the realm of the debatable. I will confess my depth of knowledge on the halakha of this is not comprehensive, but the concern about privacy that the shulchan is bringing is mostly connected to Talmudic texts that are about sort of the attitude that the Talmud wants us to cultivate towards sex, an attitude of awareness of sex as sacred, an attitude of sex 
in relationship to the mitzvah to be fruitful and multiply. The Talmud has a particular way it wants us to think and feel about sex. And the privacy has more to do with that, in my understanding, than it does to have to do with privacy as an end of itself. Okay, okay. Right? So if you are having a sacred experience at your orgy, I think you are, in some sense, touching on what the rabbis are concerned about in the first place. We can have that fight with the rabbis. I don't have the halachic breadth of knowledge to have that fight on this episode right now. But once you are in a place where you are thinking about your own conditioning and feelings towards sex, you are in the realm where you can be having a discussion with the rabbis. The rabbis are here to make sure we think about sex in a way that they think is appropriate. And we can contest them on that. There is not an authoritative halacha on that subject from Talmud itself. The kind of current modern conventional understanding of sex positivity is at odds with the rabbinical conception of sex as sacred. Yes, I think it's at odds. I don't think they are like 100% enemies. I don't think the rabbis are sex negative and we are sex positive. I think it's a much more nuanced conflict than that. I think, you know, Halakha and Talmud were created and preserved through lenses of things like patriarchy and nationalism and, and stuff like that. And those distortions have become entrenched in the system. When we get into questions like this, we sort of end up with the task of figuring out what is a distortion and what is sort of the quote-unquote authentic essence of the teaching. I don't even know if there is a separation between distortion and authentic. I think it's all kind of one and the same. Yeah, I mean, more so than that, there's a an essence of halacha that exists pure of distortion. I think there is an essence that we can find like, I think that in examining the distortions of patriarchy in halakha, we can mine things out of that halakha that become the essence. You know, it's like halakha is like a big rock with some nuggets of gold in it. And the, it's all one rock. But through our exploratory process, we can pick some good parts out of it. I want to humble myself. Like, who am I to know? I'm not necessarily any better than they were at purifying rock into, like, essential truth, knowledge, wisdom stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I mean, in the God willing, in the future, someone else is going to mine this big lump of shit that we're a part of, and they'll find the other flecks of gold, you know? I don't think I'm free from distortions myself in my thinking around Jewish practice and law. All I can do is, is make my best effort and hope that it contributes to the project. Well, let's bring it back to the listener, Hava. Yes. I want to know, Tzitzi at an orgy, would you wear them or would you not? Personally... I would not wear them at an orgy. I don't want anyone to take that as a normative statement that I think wearing them is absolutely wrong. 
But for me, one, on a practical level, it's a place I'm very concerned about getting my tzitzi dirty, covered in lube, you know, like it doesn't feel like a materially safe environment for a sacred garment, given my previous experiences. And tzitzi needs to be made out of certain woven materials from a Mm -hmm. plant, so those are absorbent. Yes, they're very absorbent. They're very easy to stain in my experience. So if you're going to make your tzitzi out of surgical grade plastic, then it's... That might be a whole different situation. Yeah, but then is it really tzitzi? That's uh, an episode unto itself, I'm sorry to say. Also, I agree the listener shared a concern. Their thought is that a lot of people are wearing fetish gears and I don't want someone to interpret my outfit as such. That is such a real concern. You know, there are people within the kink community who will make some pretty problematic stuff into fetish gear. And while I don't think, you know, we are necessarily responsible for their actions, to me, I do feel like a sense of protectiveness towards my seat seat that I wouldn't want them to be perceived in that way. So I really get that. I also think that having occasions, this is sort of contradictory to the prevailing thoughts about seat seat, but I generally think that creating situations where you take your seat seat or keep it off gives you the opportunity to put them back on. And both of those times of taking them off and putting them on are times to become more conscious of your intention and relationship to the mitzvah. And therefore, in my opinion, increase the sanctity. I'm confused about what the reason is to wear the tzitzit at the orgy. Like, you don't wear tzitzit when you take a bath. No, you don't wear tzitzit when you take a bath, but you do wear them, like, in the bathroom. As long as you're clothed, right? So if you're, like, full naked at the orgy, which is rare... In my experience, people are mostly in clothes, and then there's like some sex happening in different places. So if you're in clothes, like it's a definite possibility that you might be in a situation where it makes sense to wear seat seat just from a garment perspective. <sighs> I'm taking it that you are also no seat seat at oh, the orgy. No. I'm anti seat seat at the orgy. Now, if we were in the sacred and beautiful situation of a Jewish orgy, well, that would be a whole different situation. Yeah, I mean, of course, there's exceptions to all these basic rules. I mean, I've seen some very tasteful and erotic art of Jews wearing ritual gear in sexual situations, and it's great. Sure, sure, sure. No, I mean, erotic art with seat seat, fine. Nice, highbrow, whatever. It's not highbrow. I was being facetious. <laughs> oh, even if it's lowbrow. If it's art, then fine. Ah. But here's the thing about orgies. Orgies are real life. Orgies are like, hey there, how's it going? I guess I'm gonna suck your dick now. You know, it's not <laughs> it's not exactly like what oh. I'm saying is orgies aren't sexy. So like That has also been my experience. Weirdly, they are supremely unsexy. Yeah, they're not sexy. So it's like, okay, so if you're of the opinion that you need to wear seat seat because it's like a holy, you know, experience that warrants it then you're wrong because orgies aren't sexy and they're definitely not holy. Well, you wear a seat seat even during non-holy experiences. That's true, but you also don't wear a seat seat during non-holy experiences too, like taking a shower. But that has more to do with the fact that you get naked to take a shower than that the shower is unholy. All right, all right, okay. I, I see. <laughs> this is an issue of nudity. Anyway... My answer is I personally would not wear seat seat at the kink party, at the play party. If it was like a munch, if it was like a kink hangout, I would still probably wear a seat seat personally. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, 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 sure. But sure. 
in that situation, just like for the material concern and for the concern of like, how will this garb be perceived by others? Will it be respected? Uh, I probably would not wear them. You know what this reminds me of? The episode that you did where we talked about one type of person says what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. Right. And then like the higher up the tzaddik scale you go, the more it's what's mine is yours and what's uh, yours is yours. I think that applies to orgies. Maybe you can wear tzitzit to the orgy and maybe everyone should be okay with that. But in the world we live in, wear the tzitzit to the orgy. I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if someone would feel uncomfortable. Orgies, you do actually have to be willing to give up more of yourself in order to be there. And I think that is in line with philosophies on how to conduct yourself in group sex situations. I'm realizing another way you could think of this is if you're going in there with a reasonable expectation that you're going to get naked, I think it's fair to take off your tzitzit in a place where they'll be safe before that. Yeah, yeah. And really, it's all about the absorption factor. (laughs) Really, it's all about how much they stain. They stain. To recap, listener, we talked about a sugya on Avodazara 44a that I believe can be used to reflect on kink, orgies, etc. We talked about how ultimately whatever you want to do that's consensual is of a higher order of authority than the ideas of privacy. And we talked about my personal take that I really get where you're coming from about the seat seat, and I wouldn't worry about it too much. I totally understand why you don't want to wear them at the party. Thank you for this beautiful question, listener. Thank you all listeners for your beautiful questions. Keep sending them to us. They help us make really good episodes, and we love answering them. I hope this has been somewhat helpful to you. That is always my goal in doing this research. I think that's it, right? That's it. I think so. I think so. Okay. Well... Shavua Tov, dear listeners. We'll talk to you soon. Shavua Tov. Bye. Bye.